Listener Production. Women united will never be defeated. You're all here today, not because we want to be here, but because we have to be here. Not far from here, such marches, even now, are being met with bullets. Behaviour unspoken, behaviour ignored, is behaviour endorsed. Yes, all too familiar sounds to a lot of the women in Australia. It's Jan Fran here. I'm with Annika Smethurst. And we know that anger has been mounting for years over the Morrison government's treatment of women. And on election night, Australian women didn't just get angry, they got organised. Saturday's results saw a record number of women elected to federal parliament as Teal candidates knocked Liberal member after Liberal member out of their seats. I'm sure you were watching, Annika. Yeah, it really was quite a, I guess, a change in how the parliament will be seen next time. 17 million Australians were enrolled to vote and we don't know the breakdown of how they voted yet, but Liberal MPs are already speculating that for the first time, the female vote delivered the coalition a battering. Now, just for example, in Josh Frydenberg's seat alone, there's 6,000 more women than men, and he lost. Now, both the major parties are on the nose with voters, but the number of females voting for the Liberal Party is dropping faster than the male demographic. Yeah, so at the last election, just 35% of women put the Liberal Party first compared with 45% of men. And since then, there's been poll after poll that has showed a decreased satisfaction among women with both the Liberal Party and its leader, Scott Morrison. A lot of women voted on women's issues alone instead of maybe being swayed by some of the things that parties were offering like a great childcare policy or a great skills policy and other areas where women made the choice around their vote. I think this time they went, I want to vote purely on having my voice listened to and heard. We're talking to former Liberal Party staffer Rochelle Miller about what the Libs can do about their so-called women problem and whether it's too late to turn that ship around. That's coming up in a sec. But first, the headlines for today, Thursday, May 26. We are starting with the terrible news coming out of the United States and the gunman behind a deadly shooting spree at an elementary school in Texas posted about his plans on Facebook just prior to the attack. So about 30 minutes before the deadly massacre, 18-year-old Salvador Ramos made three separate social media posts. Yeah, according to Texas Governor Greg Abbott, Ramos posted that he was going to shoot his grandmother. Then he posted that he'd shot the woman and finally that he was going to shoot up an elementary school. Early yesterday morning, Ramos walked into Rob Elementary School and shot dead at least 19 children and two teachers and injured 17 others. He was later killed by police. As a nation, we have to ask, when in God's name are we going to stand up to the gun lobby? When in God's name we do what we all know in our gut needs to be done? Yeah, that's a very good question being posed there by the US President Joe Biden. He has vowed that his party is going to push for tighter gun control to us here in Australia. It's unbelievable that somebody who's 18 years old can buy two AR-15-style semi-automatic rifles, which Ramos did. He legally bought them just days before the shooting, um, very soon after his 18th birthday. So a lot of issues there in the United States, and of course it comes 
just 10 days after a shooting at a supermarket in Buffalo, uh, which took the lives of 10 people as well, Annika. Yeah, it's quite remarkable, isn't it, that they still have this problem. So it's so common over there. Interesting that Joe Biden is calling for more on gun control. He's the man that can do something about it. And hopefully this time it happens. Yeah, because I mean, if you want to hear a really awful statistic, it's actually the 27th school shooting in the US this year, which when I read that, I thought that can't possibly be true. But it is. And that's classified as when somebody just charges a firearm and injures another person other than the suspect. 27 of those this year alone in the United States. Peter Dutton has promised to reunite the Liberal Party after confirming he'll run for leader of the party. In a statement, Dutton said, Labor talked a big game on the economy. They now have to deliver and we will hold them to account. Yeah, not a huge surprise there. I mean, he was always touted as potentially being the next leader of the Liberal Party. Um, as soon as those election results started becoming clear on Saturday, Liberal MP for New South Wales, Susan Lee, is firming up to be the favourite as his deputy, although uh, Senators Jane Hume and Anne Rustin, they have also signalled that they may nominate for the position as well. A vote is going to be held next week. Date TBC. It's sort of last man standing kind of situation, isn't it? Um, but also, um, if Peter Dutton is the answer, then it's not entirely clear that they heard the questions that were raised during this election campaign. Finance Minister Katie Gallagher responding to that news yesterday. Meanwhile, Tanya Plibersek responded a little differently. She reckons Peter Dutton looks like Voldemort, the villain in Harry Potter, telling Radio 4BC that in Brisbane. Well, I think there'll be a lot of children who've watched a lot of Harry Potter films who'll be very frightened of what they're seeing on TV at night, that's for sure. What, are you saying he looks strange? He looks odd? I'm saying he looks a bit like Voldemort. Oh, dear. That was a little mean, Tanya. She did apologise for those comments afterwards. Yeah, we all know Voldemort actually looks like... A Tesla, I think. Anyway, Nationals leader Barnaby Joyce is also expected to face a challenge when his party meets on Monday. Now, Darren Chester, David Littleproud and former leader Michael McCormack are all considering a tilt. So he's in a bit of strife there. Yeah, just on the bean counting of the election. So the Labor Party's edging closer to a majority in the House of Representatives. Obviously, it needs 76 seats to govern in its own right. It is ahead currently in the seat of Lions in Tasmania and McNamara in Melbourne. I think they're sitting at about 75 seats that have been called. It changes depending on um, which news outlet you're following. But if that trend continues, they will get a majority in their own right. They won't need the support of the crossbench. New Foreign Affairs Minister Penny Wong will fly to Fiji today to meet with Pacific leaders. This comes after China announced its Foreign Minister Wang Yi was undertaking an unprecedented 10-day tour of the Pacific to start talks with up to 10 nations seeking to secure security deals similar to the one it struck with the Solomon Islands. After a lost decade, we've got a lot of work to do to regain Australia's position as the partner of choice in the Pacific in a region that's less secure and more contested. Yeah, so that was Penny Wong speaking there um, on a flight back. That's probably why you heard a little bit of noise on a flight back from this week's quad meeting in Japan, where she headed immediately with newly elected PM Anthony Albanese after being sworn in on Monday. For some background on that Solomon Islands deal, it's pretty critical because it could see a possible Chinese military presence just a three-hour flight away from Brisbane. So Australia is going into... Um, 
preemptive diplomacy to make sure that doesn't happen with uh, with any other country. Wong will meet with Fiji Prime Minister Frank Bani-Marama today, kick-starting that six-week campaign of meetings across the region. And supermodel Kate Moss has testified at the Johnny Depp Amber Heard defamation trial as a rebuttal witness for Johnny Depp. Now, her appearance followed comments that were made by Amber Heard about this long-running rumour that Depp had pushed Moss down a flight of stairs. Um, This is a claim that he has long denied, by the way. Now, it's because Heard mentioned Moss in her testimony that it allowed Depp to actually call Moss as a witness. She took to the stand via video and said Depp never assaulted her. She did say that she once slipped down a flight of stairs after a rainstorm at a Jamaican resort, but that Depp had come to her aid. Did Mr Depp push you in any way down the stairs? No. Uh, During the course of your relationship, did he ever push you down any stairs? No. He never pushed me, kicked me or threw me down any stairs. So she testified for fewer than five minutes. She wasn't cross-examined. Um, and this is all in the uh, the lawsuit that Depp is bringing against Heard for libel after she wrote an article in the Washington Post that claimed that she'd been a victim of domestic abuse. She didn't specifically name um, Johnny Depp, though. He denied he ever struck Heard and says she was the abuser in the relationship. Heard is countersuing him. Yes, and I have uh, no idea what to make of this case. I see it all over my social media, even though I never asked for it. And I think I'm getting quite a lot of Johnny Deppaganda. Take everything you see online about this with a real pinch of salt, I reckon. All right, there are headlines for today. We're talking the women's vote and the Liberal Party. That's next. I think a lot of women in Australia after what's played out over the last couple of years are very angry and feel dismissed as if lip service is paid to the issue of genuine equality and safety for women. That was the new member for the Victorian seat of Goldstein, Zoe Daniel. Now, she was one of the six so-called teal independents elected to the House of Representatives on Saturday. It is a remarkable victory for the six women uh, who campaigned on climate action, integrity, and also addressing the concerns of the women of Australia, which they argue that the Liberal Party has failed to do. Now, the events of the last three years in particular don't bode well for the party's treatment of women. And there are a lot of examples, Annika. Yeah, these include, of course, the Christian Porter rape allegation, the saga around Christine Holgate, now she was the head of Australia Post. Of course, the government's handling of Brittany Higgins and accusations of bullying from women within the Liberal Party, such as Julia Banks. Now, Grace Tame's side-eye, of course, didn't help the Prime Minister. And the Prime Minister also refusing to meet with women marching outside Parliament House. So all of this sort of tumbled together to make a real issue for the government. It's a long list, isn't it? So today we're asking, does the Liberal Party need to take a long, hard look at itself and its treatment of women and... Actually, will it be able to convince Australian women that it does have their interest at heart? To help us answer that question, we've got Rochelle Miller. She is a former Liberal Party staffer. She knows the party very well. 
She also is the woman that accused Liberal MP Alan Tudge of abusing her while the two were in a consensual relationship. Now, we should say that he has denied those allegations, but Rochelle since has been a vocal critic of what she says is the toxic culture in Canberra. Rochelle, thanks for joining us. We talk about the women's issue and the women's problem, and it's a very broad term that's really come up during the last Morrison government, not the whole of the coalition government for the last sort of nine years. So what specifically does that mean to you when we talk about the women's issue? It's fundamentally about us not being heard. When I first spoke out on on Four Corners, it was about just putting my hand up and saying, hey, there's a problem internally. I did that just to sort of signal, hey, guys, we've got an issue. How about we have a chat about it? And and instead of, you know, listening to me, they immediately put me in the enemy list and went, right, she's an enemy. We need to silence her. We need to keep her quiet because she's going to damage us politically. Now, my intention was never really to damage them politically. My intention was to say, hey, guys, listen to me, we have a problem with the way women are treated in the party. Now, I think then with Brittany Higgins coming out, that exploded that into a wider issue of not just how women are treated in the workplace in Parliament, but how women are treated generally. And the way that the party and the government responded to Brittany Higgins I think for a lot of women in the country, a fundamental change in their mindset where they really realise that, hey, we still have a problem with the way women are treated in this country was when the Prime Minister came out and said to a huge group of women who were standing outside of Parliament House going, we want to be listened to, that we were lucky that we weren't met with bullets. Not far from here, such marches even now are being met with bullets. That was a real pivotal moment. I think it was just disgraceful. You've worked in Parliament. I've worked in Parliament. It's never actually been particularly female-friendly. In fact, other parliaments around the country, I'd argue, are pretty bad too. This is when it really came to a head, though, for all the points you raised. So do you think it was basically the government's inaction or their reaction that was problematic as opposed to, you know, it was a simmering issue for so long, but it came to a head and the government of the time didn't have the skills or the ability to deal with it. I think it's all of those things. I think they didn't have the skills. I'd say that the women's issues have always been there, but it's been kind of labelled as, oh, the, the noisy fringe feminists rather than everyday what's perceived to be ordinary women saying, hang on a second, I'm examining things that happened to me in the past and those things weren't okay. I've always felt like I should bury these things or hide these things and now I actually don't want to do that anymore. I think Chanel Contost, of course, you know, exemplified that with just hundreds of of young women saying, hey, here's my experience and it's horrific and I've been hiding this. What I wanted and what a lot of women wanted was just to be listened to. Rochelle, you talk about the need for women to be listened to. I think they've made their voices pretty loud and clear at this last election. How do you see the results? How do you read them in terms of the women's vote? A lot of women voted on women's 
issues alone instead of, you know, maybe being swayed by some of the things that parties were offering, you know, a great childcare policy or a great skills policy and other areas where women made the choice around their vote. I think this time they went, I want to vote purely on having my voice listened to and heard. And in the independents particularly, women saw women like them, women who were professional, women who could communicate the issues well, women who seemed to have a strong grasp on modern women's issues, not just women's issues of the past. I mean, issues like coercive control, issues like abuse in relationships that's not necessarily physically violent. You know, we have state parliaments tackling legislation around those very areas at the moment, but I I feel like we've got a group of men who still think, well, you know, if you're having a consensual relationship, how is it abusive? That is really outdated thinking that I think still pervades a lot of the politicians in parliament at the moment. And I think the teal independents look like women who could take a strong message on behalf of the women in those electorates straight to the parliament rather than being silenced by, you know, a party line. I'm interested in your take on the Teals because the Liberals did lose a lot of seats to Teal independents. Mm. There's obviously a gap there that the Teal independents saw, not just around women's issues but around a bunch of issues. Mm. I wonder if the Liberals had pre-selected four female candidates if they had gotten on to the issue of women's anger first and listened to it, do you reckon they would have held on to those seats? Yes, I do. When I used to go to Liberal Party meetings of the grassroots membership, I think we have a problem there that we need to examine. I mean, you had, you know, here in Canberra, I went to a party meeting oh, back in 2019 and there was a bunch of kind of very retired, older white men and a bunch of very young, liberal, wearing suits, young men. And that was it. And I thought, wow, there's a whole section of the middle of society that is missing in this meeting here. When you're not even got a membership that's kind of diverse, you've got a problem. They didn't have the capability in those seats to look at their pre-selection and say our pre-selection processes are excluding a bunch of society, a whole section of society that's in the centre and that's where we win elections in this country is by um, convincing ordinary centre voters that they should go either with the Liberals or the Labor Party. Obviously, one thing Labor have done, I guess, better in the past is they identified this problem and introduced quotas. So they built up the number of women in their party. Do you think that would make a difference? Is it as simple as having more women there? Because we do know there are women within the Liberal Party, as you pointed out Mm -hmm. before, and Mm -hmm. they didn't all speak up. So how much do you think quotas would actually change things? Well, quotas have had an impact for the Labor Party and increased the amount of women in Parliament. So it's worked. So it's absolutely worth looking at for the Liberals. I'm not one of these Liberal women who's staunchly against quotas. And I don't think the argument around, oh, we should just have our pre-selections based on merit works. We really need to examine why is it that we couldn't 
pre-select women like Zoe Daniel or Monique Ryan because when I look at those women, they look like perfect Liberal candidates to me. And I think people in those electorates saw them that way as well. What is it about those women and why didn't we find those women? What was going on in our party processes and our party pre-selection processes that we didn't find those women? And I think it comes back to the Liberal Party becoming increasingly like a bubble, a very insular kind of bubble that kind of feeds men from, you know, their private school into their Sandstone University where they volunteer for a male parliamentarian. They then go join the Young Liberals. They go straight into staffing roles and then straight into pre-selection. And there's kind of this pathway that they're all going through. And when you look at a lot of the current crop of Liberals, they've all men, Liberal men, they've all taken that pathway. So there obviously seems to be a good pathway for men of a particular demographic, but that's it. And look, I'm not saying that the Labor Party doesn't have this issue either. I do think we need to look at quotas, but I think we need to look at the whole process that pre-selects candidates. I mean, you're a Liberal Party staffer, Rochelle, so there was obviously something that drew you initially to the party. Do you think it's Mm. capable of change and capable of attracting more women because it's going to meet and sort out its leadership team. Karen Andrews Mm. has ruled herself out. Peter Dutton is expected Mm. to get it. How do you Mm. think that will move the party forward in terms of attracting women? Well, I don't. I don't think that that will move it forward at all. I think, you know, senior members of the ex-government coming out and saying that women, ICAC, integrity and climate where inner city issues is just a joke. We have some Liberals that are still there that are very right-wing and very conservative. And I do worry that was one of the sort of unfortunate side effects of the Teals is that we lost a lot of our moderate voices. But I think that you get regeneration from a clear out and next election will be particularly crucial in the pre-selections that we make. How do we make sure that we select people who are genuinely seen by the community as a good representative? I don't think that at the moment we have a group of people who are going to fix those issues, but I hope that the party membership do a really, really good examination of the loss and bring in somebody who can run a really, really good kind of review of the election and of the party processes and the pre-selection processes particularly. That was former Liberal Party staffer Rochelle Miller there. And interesting hearing her talk about the Liberal Party really having to rework their pre-selections and try and get more women in their ranks at that level in order to bring women back to the party. Yeah, it's a message you're hearing from a lot of the Liberals that lost their seats on the weekend. They're recognising the problem. It'll be up to the people remaining, though, to make the change. That is it for our show today. Tomorrow, strap in, we're heading to Greensland. That's right, the state that has delivered us more green seats than any other. And would you believe... It's bloody Queensland. That is tomorrow. Hope you can join us. See you soon. Bye. Listener.